0: We have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it is a crown jewel, and it is precious, and it is beyond compare. But my friends, that's not the end of the inheritance in which He has given us. See, we have been reconciled with God, but He has also reconciled us one with another as part of the inheritance, the richness of what He has given us. And so he is going on to explain that what does it mean to live out the what does it mean to live out in light of this inheritance? And it's interesting to note that right away we see in verse 2 what are the characteristics of living this out? And he says, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Notice that they're all. Characteristics that, for you to live out these characteristics, you have to live them out with other people. They're not characteristics that are lived out in isolation. As we go back to the fall, and we see what it, that fall, which separated us from God, theologian Francis Schaeffer once made the comment in which he saw five different separations that took place because of the fall. We were separated for in our relationship with God. We had a separation in our relationship man with other men. We had a separation in a relationship man with himself, as we see played out a countless time again in, in psychologist's office. We see man is separated from nature and nature from nature. But yet, God, in reconciling us with himself, he has provided a way for us to be reconciled one with another. And we see that portrayed out also in chapter 2 of Ephesians. And so, as we look then, the characterization, and what she says then, we have been reconciled one with another, so live in light of that reconciliation. So then, what does that look like? What does that look like for us to live in light of that Well, we see a portrait of this in verse 7. If you would look at verse 7 with me. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. And in saying He ascended, what does that mean? But that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who has descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, this verse can be somewhat daunting as we first look at it. It can be a bit intimidating. What is this talking about, especially in verses 8 through 10? And certainly there's been a lot of ink spilled by scholars to try to explain exactly what Paul is talking about there. Now, I believe what he's teaching there is, is Christ emptying himself of his glory and submitting himself to the Father through the incarnation and then ultimately through death uh, on the cross. However, the point of what Paul is trying to make here quite clearly is that when Christ was exalted in His and when Christ was glorified, what he did was he gave gifts in response to that exaltation. And what are the gifts? He gave us the church, his body. He gave this gifts of apostles, pre, uh, prophets, teachers, evangelists. He gave us this beautiful institution called the church in which we is both an organization and an organism that is alive. And what says here that it is a gift of his grace to be part of it. It's not a burden, but a gift. And what we do when we say is, we, no, 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 no. When we pursue our own kingdoms, when we pursue our own agenda, when we don't really care about being part of the body, when we don't really care about um, uh, what kind of disunity that we bring into the church, into his kingdom, what we are saying is, in effect, we are minimizing the gospel. It's no less than that is no less than minimizing the effects of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Life in response to God's grace is demonstrated in community with one another. And the implications are that we are part of his body. Now, you may say to me, listen, though, guess what? I don't have any problems with unity. I don't have any problems in in breaking unity or creating conflicts here in the church. I come in most Sundays, more Sundays than I than I don't. I come in around, well, let's say 10.30, 10.45-ish, somewhere around there. I stay for a good hour, hour and a half. If somebody comes across my path, I shake hands with them, say hi, and then I go home. There's no conflict, there's no lack of unity. You know, really, my life with Christ is really more of a spiritual, private thing. So I'm not creating any conflicts. I don't really want to be involved with the politics of the church. But my friends, let me let me point out to you, you're still neglecting the gift of what she has given you to be part of the community. We think that we're avoiding conflict, but what we're really saying in the midst of that is we're saying no thank you to God's gospel, to his gift. Take a look at verse 7. Or excuse me. Um, So what we see here is what Christ has done for us is he's provided this precious ruby and the gift of being able to be in fellowship with one another. And what we have said to God is no thank you. Red's not my color. Community is just not for me. We've minimized the gifts of the gospel. So, what does it mean to be in unity with one another? What is it? We've said it's it's important. We said it's part of the inheritance in which we have, but what does it really mean to be in unity with one another? Unity is a real buzzword these days, right? We're all want to be united. We all want to get along, man. Let's just be united. But Unity doesn't mean acceptance without boundaries, okay? It doesn't mean that we are united in such a way that we stand for nothing. Take a look at verse 4. He says here, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And what do we see right there in those verses? What is the emphasis over and over again? It's one. It's one. We are united under the banner of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are united under his kingdom. And what that means is we don't look for a human personality, a human leader, a charismatic personality that, that really energizes us, for which we become united under. It doesn't mean that we become united under whatever the cause or the fad moment of the day is. It doesn't mean we even just get along just to get along. But rather what we do instead is we unite ourselves under the gospel, under the truth of who God is and under His kingdom, and say Jesus Christ is our Lord, and we submit ourselves to Him. And when we do that, we see this beautiful thing that takes place. Take a look at verse 14. We see this beautiful thing when we unite ourselves under Christ, living in His community. It says in verse 14, and this is the effects, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes what is he saying there when we are living in community when the community and the and people are fulfilling the roles in which and using the gifts for which God is giving them we become equipped then to spot the false doctrines we become equipped to see the lies of the culture that desperately want to try to infect and invade the church that bring disunity that wreak havoc on, 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 on the church. When we are part of that, we are, we are not necessarily relying on ourselves, we're relying on the gifts in which God has given His church, and we're able to spot the lies. We're not carried away by every wind of doctrine. We are fully, more fully equipped then to live under the banner, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing thing. Now also, so unity doesn't just mean acceptance without boundaries, but unity also doesn't simply mean becoming clones of one another, all right? It doesn't mean that we look uh, for some personality that we really like. It doesn't mean that we look at Pope and say, oh, wow, I really want to be like Pope, so I need to start dressing like Pope. I need to start talking like Pope. I want to have uh, uh, the same sense of humor, the same taste in music that Pope has, right? That's not what it's trying to do, and so we looked in for the nonconformists that are not like Pope. Got my eyes on you. That's not what that is calling us to do. In fact, he he illustrates that within the body there are multiple gifts. He uses that illustration uh, of a body and the parts of the body in, in another letter in First Corinthians, where he talks about how the arm and the leg and the tongue and the eye, and they all have their function, but yet they're different. It's like a symphony. I love classical music, right? It's such a, it's such a wonderful genre. And within, uh, classical music, what we see is this beautiful harmony, this beautiful, uh, all these various music, all these various instruments playing various notes that are coming together for this one majestic harmony. And when it all comes together, it's just wondrous. It's beautiful. That's a great picture of the church. We also see another picture of what unity looks like profoundly. As we just read, what, as we looked back in verse 4, what we see is each member of the Trinity is highlighted. Father, Son, and Spirit. Our wondrous triune God. One God, eternally existing in three persons. And when we look back at Genesis 1 and 2, what we see is when humanity was created, we were created in the image of God, to reflect his glory, right? And when he created Adam, and though he created all of creation and said it was good, he created Adam to be his image bearer, and he looked at Adam and said it's not good for him to be alone. To be the fullest image bearer, he needed Eve. And when that took place, it was good. Is within that context in which humanity was most able to flourish as image bearers. Now, we often look back at that, and we take that in the community in the context of marriage. Now, it's certainly good, and I certainly flourish a lot more because I have my wife with me. Heaven knows what calamity would come upon me if I didn't have my wife in my life. However, that... That goes beyond simply marriage. It really what it highlights is that we were created to be in community. And it's in community that we flourish. It's in community that we become that much that which we were intended to be. So what does it look like then to find ourselves in community? Well, let's take a look. What does this, what does this look like? We take a look in verse 12. Take a look in verse 12 of chapter 4. He just got through saying, you know, why is it that we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds? The purpose is, in verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the, uh, of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith and for the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then take a look at verse 15 and 16. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together in every joint which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Read that again when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what we see there is that unity and participation within the body, that the body becomes the arena in which God grows us. Typically grows us. He created us as image bearers to be lived in within community, which means as he restores us through the work of the gospel, he restores us into the church in which we become uh, uh, um, interdependent upon one another, and uh, we 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 live within uh, in this context with each other, and that becomes very difficult for us a lot of the times to understand the indispensable component in this arena in which we are to grow, to understand that community is the framework in which we grow to community. That's that's difficult for us to see because we want to have independence. We don't want to have interdependence, right? That's something that we struggle with. When we teach our children, we often teach them that the cultural myth, the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. We want to teach... And really, ingrain in our students independence, right? Especially so that when they're eighteen, they can actually be independent and leave the house. That's hard for us sometimes to look at one another and to look at at the people next to us in the pew and understand that. Wait a minute, my my spiritual life is in 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 some way somewhat dependent on them. I mean, really? God is grace at work growing me because of Pope. Really? I'm not sure I'm okay with this. Shouldn't I have an interview with you or something like that? I mean, do you have a resume? Do you have any job references? Anybody else that you've helped kind of grow? That's difficult. But yet, that's the context. And you see in which he has created. is the arena for growth. And what we also see within that When we live life in this way, what we get is a more fuller picture of Christ at work in us. We get a fuller picture of who Christ is as we live in community. When we become interdependent and interconnected with one another. What do I mean by that? C.S. Lewis in his book, In the Four Loves, talked about his his deep friendship that he had with two other well-known scholars. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote, wrote The Lord of the Rings and Charles Williams. Now, Charles Williams died much earlier than Tolkien or Lewis. And, people, and Lewis commented that when Charles died, many people thought then that he would have more of his other friend, Tolkien. But Lewis, what Lewis said was, actually what I had was less of Tolkien when Charles died. He said because there were certain aspects of Tolkien's personality that Lewis couldn't bring out, that Charles brought out. And when Charles died, there there were certain aspects of Tolkien's personality that died with him. So Lewis then makes this comment, true friendship is the least jealous of loves. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven. For every soul seeing him in her own way communicates that unique vision to all the rest. We just saw a beautiful portrait of this just a few minutes ago. As Conrad shared his story, right? Most of us, in many ways, have not experienced what Conrad has gone through. That's a bit foreign to us. But as those of you who lived life with him, who walked life with him, who were there at the hospital with him, praying, supporting him. As you listen to his testimony here, you got a glimpse of what Christ was doing in his life that maybe isn't something that you're experiencing right now. You see a more fuller vision of what Christ is and his glory and his wonder of what he's doing. So it's not only a glory that is manifested and and declared in Conrad's life, but it is a glory that you are able to see as well as you rejoice alongside him, as we weep with one another in our struggles. So not only were we created to be in community, and when we shun that, what we are essentially doing is minimizing the gospel. Not only are we removing ourselves from the arena in which God has created us to grow, but what we are also doing is narrowing the lens in which we see Christ we refuse to be part of community. So, where do we start? Where do we start? You may say to yourself, okay, Bo, I want to go deeper in community. Where do I go from here? Here at Oak Ridge Bible Church, one of the first places I would recommend you start is your neighborhood groups. Now, I know a lot of them are beginning to slow down for the summer. But let me just encourage you, if you've not been part of a neighborhood group, why don't you talk to Steve. Steve moved on me. I don't know where he is. But you'll, there he is. He's in the back. He'll, you'll see him here. Or one of the elders. And say, hey, you know, I want to get more connected. I, I, I want to go deeper in the life of the body here. To, to truly be known. Talk to one of the elders and they can help you get plugged in. That would be my first uh, first place, I would say, to start. Keep in mind, the call to be part of a community isn't a call to completely rewire your personality. It's, it's a call to be part of a family, not necessarily be the life of the crowd. I'm, I'm more introverted. I'm not, I'm not someone who enjoys just getting in this enormous crowd and just kind of, you know, uh, be in the life of the party. But be part of a family. That's what you're saying to. And for some of us, what that also means is that we have to say no to some good things so that we can choose to have more time for that which is better. Most of us live incredibly busy lives. And a lot of us, if we're honest, we don't have time for community. So for some of us, what we have to do is we have to say no to some good things. They're not bad things, but sometimes they're good things in order to have time to be part of Christ's community. Is pursuing spiritual community and relationships risky? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'll I'll be perfectly honest with you. It can be risky. And while God's way may not be the safest way, it is the best way. It's good. It's the way that we were made. Sin robbed us of that dignity. But through the work of Christ, He offers us this precious jewel in the form of a different way of living. Let me ask you, friends. What are you doing with that inheritance? What are you doing with that inheritance?